Welcome to the Fertility Stories podcast. This is your host, Mary Sodden, naturopath and fertility coach. I help women go from frustrated, overwhelmed, and isolated to calm, confident, and in control of their fertility. I'm passionate about helping women get pregnant and stay pregnant. Each week, I have a real and empowering conversation with everyday women and men struggling with fertility to bring you hope, comfort, and support. This is our story. Welcome to the Fertility Stories podcast. For today's episode, I have Monique Farouk. She is a fellow podcaster and host of the Infertility and Me podcast. Hi, Monique. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. Thank you uh, so much for having me um, be a part of your listeners' day today. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Can you tell us more about yourself? Yeah, so I live on the East Coast of the U.S. I am a native of Maryland. Uh, basically lived here my whole life. I have lived in one other state prior uh, at the beginning of my marriage, but I've been married for almost uh, about nine and a half years now, and I am a small business owner. I, um, before having my son, had a restaurant, and I've had a couple of other restaurants and some other businesses too as well in the last 10 years. So um, yeah, that's kind of like a brief synopsis of who I am outside of the podcast. Oh, that's great. Can you tell us more about your fertility journey? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with uh, right tubal blockage in 2012, and I had an IUI done with, with that uh, diagnosis, but it was unsuccessful. And so I never went back in to do any more fertility treatments or anything like that with that particular uh, RE clinic. And so it was a four-year period between then and when I actually conceived my son in the summer of 2016. And in 2016, the spring of 2016, actually, I went back to see a RE, found one that I really, really liked and connected and resonated with. And my husband and I began our journey to parenthood with this particular RE clinic. And I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And I also had uterine polyps. But surprisingly, the right tubal blockage had cleared itself. So whatever that was, it was gone at the time um, of 2016 when I went back four years later to get a little bit more serious about parenthood and stuff. It was like really shocking getting the diagnosis at 29 and 2012. So we just took a break and we said, look, we're just going to try naturally for a while and see if that happens. And when it didn't happen four years later, that's when we started getting serious about it. Mm-hmm. And when you started getting serious about it and you found the the second RE that you really connected with, mm-hmm. what happened? So we opted for... Um, what's called natural cycle or mild IVF, where there's a lot Mm. less medications. And because I had Mm. the hypothyroidism and the polyps, of course, those things had to be taken care of prior to any treatment, moving forward with any treatment. And so I had a three-month plan for treating the hypothyroid disorder because that's how long it takes if you take any supplements or medications. It takes about three months for anyone who doesn't know for any of it to be effective consistently. 
And so I did that. And then in the midst of that three month period, I had the uterine polyps removed in a very um, not so crazy invasive uh, procedure uh, out um, at a hospital. And then I went home the same day. It only took a few hours. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't too painful, kind of felt like cramping and such. So, but they found a couple of polyps in there, some small ones in there. And, they, you know, they don't want anything to prohibit the embryo from implanting during mm -hmm. treatment cycle. So we had to get that taken care of. And after that was done in July of 2016, I got back from my post-op, started my, luckily my cycle was right around post-op time. So when I had my post-op consultation, everything was okay. My OBGYN was the one who performed the surgery. So she gave me the go ahead to, um, to move, move forward with IVF treatment in any capacity that I felt comfortable with. And so when I went to my RE, I called, of course, and told the nurse that my period was coming up in, a, in a, you know, a week or so. And so we moved forward with my first cycle of natural cycle IVF. So I got a trigger shot and all that. But mm -hmm. then all of the other medications that lead up to the trigger shot, I didn't have to have like stems and such. That wasn't a part of my medication list. So I had the trigger shot, I had S-Trace, I had progesterone, and I had the baby aspirin, and of course, my multivitamin and such. And I wasn't on anything other than that as far as supplements are concerned, just because my RE didn't recommend it. Um, she's not, she wasn't very familiar with some of the supplements that I was on prior to coming to her, and so she did crazy drug reactions or anything or with the hormones that I was on and such. So we did the first um, egg retrieval and they got a really nice egg out and with natural cycle, they only take one egg out at a time to prevent twin birth. Um, and, you know, if it happens on its own and the egg splits, then that's a whole different story. But they don't take out more than one egg during uh, natural or mild IVF. And it was unsuccessful because the embryo, and not the embryo, but the egg and the sperm did not create an embryo. And so in August of 2016, we had our second transfer, um, our second egg retrieval. Everything was good. And um, three days later, I got the call that the embryo was looking good. It had double, tripled and was doing its thing. And with a natural and mild IVF, you do not do frozen transfers. You do fresh transfers. And so I go back on the fourth day and have it transferred. And I did do my two-week wait. And on Friday in August of 2016, it was a Friday. I'll never forget it. And I kind of knew I was pregnant anyway, because it was the first time I had ever missed a period in my life. I was going on 32 at the time. So I was 31 and my birthday's in October. So I was getting ready to turn 32. So it was like the best birthday ever. And I got my, my call from my nurse right before they closed. They made me wait all day after going early in the morning, mm -hmm. getting the beta blood test done. And I was pregnant, but I was supposed to get my period if it was going to come that Tuesday before. And this was a Friday when I had the actual beta results come back. And um, so I kind of knew, I knew that Tuesday, I was like, you know, so my weight wasn't a full two weeks, like a lot of women that have maybe um, problems with their cycles and their menses are usually longer and such. So mine was a regular mince, which made me a candidate for natural IVF, natural cycle IVF, mm -hmm. because I had uh, one-time menses and there wasn't any issues with that. I think I had early, if I remember, correctly, I had early ovulation. So my LH was served, would, would shoot up too early, like before the 12th day and such. 
you know, before the egg had time to get really, really mature and nice and big and juicy. So anyway, so yeah, so that was the second time was really the successful cycle. And um, I still remember my beta number. It was 736 for the first one. And then um, Sunday, two days later, it had tripled. So yeah, it was a viable pregnancy and I got my little one now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. How did you cope with a two-week wait? Um, you know what, Mary? To be honest, I did a lot of activities that were distracting. And I know for mm -hmm. therapists or doctors like yourself, you may not want your clients and your, your patients to do things that are like kind of distracting away from coping with their e internal emotions. But that was my way of dealing with it at the time. And I had waited four years, you know, to, to mm -hmm. go through the process of, of having this baby. And there was a lot that happened in between there. And, you know, my husband and I were just walking around like nothing was wrong. You know what I mean? And not really dealing mm -hmm. with it. And so we were like taking it out on work and we were busy all the freaking time. You know, we were workaholics mm -hmm. during that 40 year time. And so I even even going through treatment, I just felt so privileged and honored at the same time of still having a grief of the fact that I couldn't get pregnant naturally. And so it was just a lot of mixed emotions, but I just kept myself distracted. I never saw a coach or a therapist. I've always been a self-growth motivator kind of person um, mm -hmm. all on my own. So even though it was difficult, I, I I was capable enough emotionally to get myself through. And I had the help of my mom and dad supporting me. You know, he listened. He with me, so he didn't really have any, you know, just being there and helping me and helping minds focused. You know, I, he was scared more than I was a lot of times. So because he's a warrior um, more than I am. And um, so I just kept myself distracted with a lot of like comedy movies. I'm a big movie buff. So I love mm -hmm. watching like old comedies from like the early 90s, late 80s, like uh, yes. Steve Martin movies and such like that. All my old mm -hmm. favorites as a kid, you know, I'm an 80s baby. So yeah. all my old favorites, Parenthood, Trap and all those good movies. A lot of yeah. I, I wasn't allowed to do any extraneous exercising like I had been doing previously. Mm -hmm. I was a six day, five day a week um workout type person before conception mm -hmm. and so I cut yeah. back my exercise you know everything has to be in moderation for your cycle and they really didn't want me doing much because I was so young and they didn't really know why I was having all of these issues other than the hypothyroidism and the polyps and such so mm -hmm. they didn't I didn't I couldn't do a whole lot more than just walking I couldn't do any jogging I couldn't she mm -hmm. had me a really strict regimen so I was going outside a lot um, I was catching up with um, friends who I had become isolated with over the four-year period. And these are people that I've known for years, you know, so women that I've known for years. And so it was good to reconnect with them during that time. And so I did a lot of that. I was always, my parents lived about 35 minutes away. So I was always over there, you know what I mean? And just trying mm -hmm. to distract myself essentially in a way, because back then I had a social media for Instagram documenting my journey, but um, right around the time that it came for the, let's see, after the second egg retrieval, and I had it long enough where um, it carried me through to giving birth to my son, but the social media presence of infertility warriors, infertility warriors wasn't as strong as it is now 
And mm-hmm. I don't feel like the community was as tight knit as it is now either. So it didn't feel mm-hmm. the same back then either. And it was a private, right. I had a private account and such. So I was one of those like silent sufferers. Even during my four year wait time to go back for treatment, I didn't tell friends. My mom, my dad were the only ones who knew. I'm very close with my sister. She didn't know about my struggles with infertility and she had a baby during that four year time that I was waiting and I was there. I was there for the, I was in the hospital with her overnight with her and her husband. And I was there when my was born and I was there for my older nephew and my older niece. I was there for all three of them. And I made sure that I was, no matter what I was going through, I was there for my sister because too many women are dying, giving birth and I didn't want anything to happen to her. And I was so caught up in my own feels that something happened to her and it would be the last time I saw her. So there was never any ill feelings toward my sister or anything like that. Um, you know, so with friends, I don't have very many friends, so I didn't have to deal with the baby shower thing too much. I had one friend who had a baby and I'm no longer in contact with her personally, but we still keep in touch on social media, but she didn't know anything about it either. And she was somebody I was very close Mm -hmm. to at the time. So, you know, I, I just, um, yeah, I did a lot of distracting during that two week wait, Mary. <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. even going to lie or sugarcoat it. I did a lot of distracting. Yeah. It probably wasn't the best way to do it, but it worked for me, you know. Okay. Yes. As long as it worked for you, that's, yeah. that's what's most important. How did the infertility journey affect your relationship with your husband? In a lot of ways, it, um, brought us closer together and I think it's because when you're going through infertility you have to be an open book essentially you go to these appointments with your spouse you go to your Mm -hmm. consultations you get all of these things poked and prodded on you and such and there is not a more intimate space other than your loving bed at home for me Mm -hmm. as that's the way I saw it and even with pregnancy and childbirth, there's no more intimate space than that um, other than sharing a bed with your spouse. And so, you know, it opens up all of these new emotions that you haven't experienced in that way, dealing with infertility. And so a lot of people say it brought them closer together, but I know for sure that it did for us. And there's people that don't make it through, you know, infertility together as a couple. And mm-hmm. one leaves or the, or the other one pushes the other one away. And yeah. I didn't want that for us. And I knew that if we could just get through it, we'd be okay. And there were moments, some rocky moments, you know, and I think a lot of it was because it was unrelated to fertility, but deep down the microaggression was because of infertility, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's very tough in couples. Yeah. How has the journey changed you? Well, it's definitely made me a a more vulnerable person. I was not the vulnerable, wear your heart on the sleeve kind of woman before this. And I was very hardcore on the outside and defensive on the outside and didn't let anybody in, you know. And um, I don't even know how (laughs) my husband and I were so close because there were moments when, you know, I didn't want to open up to him either. And it took a very long time Mm -hmm. and he had so much patience. God bless his heart. He had so much patience with me and he fully understood me. So he, you know, he dealt with it in his own little ways and such. So, but it's definitely made me more open. It's definitely made me, because see, I was good at being a listener for everybody, Mm -hmm. but 
that was like a defense mechanism for myself because if they was talking about themselves and they didn't have to ask me anything about me and what I was dealing with. And so it has made me be able to open up to others too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not just be a listener and being a helper to everybody else, but also letting people help me as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Being vulnerable. That's, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. What are the, the top things that you do consistently for your health? I definitely focus on, well, I try to be more going through the journey in that four-year period of waiting to as well really taught me to be a lot more in tune with my body, paying attention to little, just the little smallest of details and inclinations mm-hmm. and made me more mindful of my body. And so when I eat something, or I go to eat something, or I think about what I want to eat, I'm consciously aware of what I'm choosing, be it negative or positive. Mm-hmm. And I do my best. I'm not 100% with, you know, eating all the leafy greens that I should in a day or such like that. But I do limit my uh, red meat intake and um, I don't eat pork. And um, when I was on the journey, I went vegetarian for about three years. So like the last three years leading up to my pregnancy, I was vegetarian and it worked for me. Mm -hmm. And um, just keeping my protein up through like quinoa and such like that. And just being more consciously aware of what I'm putting into my body. And before um, any fertility or anything like that, I was like a tobacco user. I smoked cigarettes. I wasn't a heavy cigarette smoker, but I liked a cigarette here and there. You know, that was that kind of person. So. Mm That had stopped prior to anywhere near fertility. I didn't smoke heavily for very long. And it was like something that I could just turn off if I wanted to. And um, I limited right. my coffee intake, you know, not eating, drinking it past a certain hour and not doing more than 12 or 16 ounces in, um, in a day for coffee. And recently I've been on like a little binge kick where I haven't been drinking it so and I didn't have it in the house anymore either so it was like if I got a taste for it I would have to go outside of the house and such but um, I'm a really big fruit eater I have a sweet tooth and I think mm-hmm. it's a lack of minerals um, that causes me to crave sweets so I know that mm-hmm. and um, so I just always have like sweet fruits in the house and also acid fruits in the house like your oranges and your grapefruit and stuff like that because those are good for the digestive system and keeping the fiber intake up and keeping the bowels moving properly and and I don't do partake in a whole lot of dairy um to be quite honest I feel like it, I create too much mu- mucus and um I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of dairy um I prefer coconut any day over regular milk cow's milk but, and then keeping myself active and having my son has helped with that because I am a little older now than when I first conceived. And so getting closer to 40, I can feel my body trying to slow down. And so I'm trying to be mm-hmm. active to keep all the female hormones running and high. And so I don't, you know, mm-hmm. gain unnecessary weight that can be prevented. And, um, I'm not doing any particular exercise regimens at the mo- at the moment because I do do a lot of walking with the baby. He likes to go in the neighborhood with his bike and such. And so that covers yeah. a lot of um, good exercise. And walking works really good for my body type. Um, I used to be able to jump a lot more, but I can't as much. My knees, <laughs> I'm getting a little older, so my knees are like, I, yeah. I get G-stuck up first with potassium before I start any jogging. But walking is very effective mm-hmm. for me, and I've, I've lost 
quite a few pounds over the last year just by walking. So, which has been really beneficial. Ooh, wonderful. Yeah, and I breastfed for a year. So that was good mm-hmm. with my um, keeping um, other problems that can arise later on at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and breastfeeding can help with um, overall health in the long in the long run. And so I made sure I breastfed fed him for a year. I wish I had it done it longer. I missed the connection, but um, mm. it was good. And I did gain weight while I was breastfeeding because it just makes you freaking hungry, like all the time. So I'm warning mm. you now, like yeah. when you have your babies and you get your BFPs and the baby comes and you start breastfeeding or, you, so, or you're pumping, whatever you choose to do, you're going to mm-hmm. be hungry. It's going to make you hungry. And I was like, <laughs> I was a good 185 pounds at my heaviest. And so I was like a 12 size, mm-hmm. 12 or 14, but now I'm back down to my normal size of like a size eight or 10. I'm not a very big person. So I try mm-hmm. to keep my weight. Um, under 170, which is comfortable. I don't want to be too small. I still like my curves. So once under 170 is good for me. Anything above that is too much. So I just try to stay consciously aware of what I'm putting my body in, how much activity I'm partaking into. What is your advice or message to women out there struggling with infertility? Well, my, my first piece would be to take care of home first. You know, take care of your own household first, take care of yourself, your spouse and any of your personal things that need tending to that could get in the way of your journey being a more smoother sale. And I mean that, like, you know, making sure your finances are in order, because not only are you paying for all this money for treatment, if your insurance doesn't cover everything, but then, you know, if you get your your positive beta, then you're going to have a baby to take care of and just making sure that all those things are in order beforehand. You don't want to cause any unnecessary stress during the journey because it is stressful enough, especially if you're the one with the diagnosis and your partner is trying to support you. And it's going to be so imperative for you guys to stay connected and do your date nights and do your quick trips to the beach, you know, when weather permits or swimming your pool in your backyard, whatever it is that you guys would always do. Keep doing that during your journey and don't lose sight of it because it becomes so obsessive for women when we go through the journey. We become so obsessed with every little detail, every bit of information and it's it almost feels uncontrollable like you just you're on the spinning wheel just going and going and going and I always advocate for taking breaks especially if there is a loss of an embryo that doesn't move past a certain stage in its development and your transfer doesn't take place or if, if the sperm and the egg don't um, create an embryo take a break after that just take a minute and, and, and process it and figure out where you want to go from there. And also taking breaks if there's a miscarriage that takes place after you get your positive beta, you know, um, or a miss miscarriage, which is when a miscarriage takes place, but you don't know until your next doctor's appointment that there's no longer a heartbeat. That happens a lot. I've seen it. Um, women I've talked to as well. And also making sure that your body is in a healthy place and making sure that you see your physician before going to a RE. If you're already in the midst of the journey, there's no harm in going back to your physician if you're feeling, you know, something aching in your body or such or whatever. And then also giving yourself a break just from the stimulated medications and all of the hormones. Now, a lot of people get OHSS, take a break. 
A lot of people get cysts that develop, you know, after a, a cycle or two. Take a break. Let your body heal itself and give it that time and making sure that you are eating a balanced diet. And that's a lifestyle in itself. It's not just for this time that you're going through infertility treatments or fertility treatments or trying to conceive naturally. It's for the long haul. Because when you have your babies, you want to be healthy for them and you want to be able to move the way that they move. And trust me, when you have a toddler that's running around, you're going to need that extra energy. So taking care of your body, making sure that your mental health is in, in order, doing and using all the tools available to you to help you feel more empowered during your journey. You don't have to. I mean, like infertility sucks, man. We see the hashtag. We know it. We use it. But it doesn't have to suck all the time. And so there's things that you can do within your power that are outside of fertility and that you can feel empowered by and simple things like for me, being able to exercise and determine how much or when I exercise was really empowering. And it gave me that sense of control I needed as a person and as a woman when my body wasn't doing what I thought it was supposed to do during infertility. So those are my biggest ones. <laughs> That's great advice for anyone going through infertility. How can people reach you? So I can be found on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast and also on my website, infertilityandmepodcast.com. It has a, uh, some information about me as well as a contact form where you can reach me directly by email at infertilityandme at outlook.com. But I am very active on Instagram as well. My DMs are always Welcome to anyone. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey with us. Thank you, Mary. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. How awesome was that? If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe, and I would love to receive a review from you. And let's keep this conversation going. What is your fertility journey like? How are you choosing to be compassionate with yourself? Subscribe to the Fertility Stories podcast. I've got a new episode coming your way next week. And until then, talk soon.